Trigger warning. The following episode of Young Leaders Podcast contains a discussion about suicide. If you or someone you know is struggling or in crisis, help is available. More info will be provided in the description below. Thank you. Hi, you're listening to the Young Leaders Podcast, a show that inspires creatives and motivates you to make a meaningful impact in the world. My name is Filippo Bagarella, and I'll be your guide to success as we interview young leaders selfishly asking them about their progress and the lessons in life they've learned so far. Because if they can do it, you can do it. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Isabel Rando. Hey, thank you Hi. so much for having me. Hi. <laughs> Hi. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Oh my gosh, this is, this is going to be fun. I think so, yeah. All right, well, <laughs> tell me a little bit about you, about your origins. For sure. Um, so I was born actually on a U.S. naval base in Rota, Spain. So on the southern coast of Spain, um, the most, the closest major city to Rota is Sevilla. So it's on the southern coast, right off of what is known as a body of water called the Strait of Gibraltar. So an hour boat ride from Africa. And from that point, um, I was born there. And then 16 months later, I was in Illinois, and then I tell people to pick a state because it's really hard to say where I'm from. Um, I've lived in 11 states, so Boston makes my 11th, Boston, Massachusetts makes my 11th move in 11th state. But then as far as addresses, I've changed my address, um, gosh, over 20 times, as many years I've been alive. I'm 26, and I stopped counting after 20. (laughs) So if I were to ask you, um, what do you consider home? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think for me, I find myself a lot going back to the definition of a home or hometown. Um, And so I just say Rota as like the basics to make it easier, Rota, Spain. But in the true sense of like home, of what a home means, I would say my home is whenever I am in music. That's where I found my identity, that's where I found my solace, if you will, within music. Um, I started playing piano when I was three. I played for about eight years. Um, and then from that point on, I was like, oh, I'm not going to do any more uh, piano. But I've always kept music in my life. I did choirs out through school and throughout college. Um, and then that kind of led me into opera. But we can get into a little more about all the detours I took from that point because there were a lot um, my journey to an becoming an opera singer, um, I say is extremely unusual. Um, but yeah, I would say the major thread was with music for sure, with being my home. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting how you, instead of thinking of, of home as a material place, mm-hmm. you think of it as more of a concept, Absolutely, which is actually very interesting if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were to ask you then, when was your epiphany moment? So it's two, it's twofold um, with the epiphany moment. I would say the first inclination was with my very first voice teacher in high school, uh, Miss Jesse Kinkle. Um, I had just moved from North Carolina to Texas um, and I received a scholarship to do um, voice lessons because um, at the time my parents weren't able to afford um, the voice lessons with this specific teacher. I mean, she was a very well-respected, well-known teacher. She was known for getting students to major music schools throughout the state of Texas um, and major competitions and what have you. Um, So when I was studying with her, um, Ms. Hinkle, um, I remember being in a lesson with her and I was telling her, oh, my dream one day, I was like, 
I said it this way. It would be cool to be on Broadway. And she's like, okay. And so we did some Broadway and musical theater. And then she was like, I think your voice could do a little more. And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, um, have you ever thought of singing opera? And I was like, opera. I was like, I've heard of opera. And then I was like, Phantom of the Opera. And she was like, no, not that's a musical. <laughs> and she was like, no, um, you know, she's like, have you ever heard of the name of Jesse Norman? Um, and at the time I was like, who's Jesse Norman? She's like, okay. And, and this was like at the end of my lesson, she's like, okay, your homework is to go home. Um, and I want you Google search or search on YouTube, um, Mon Coeur Voix which translates to my heart opens to your voice. It's French for my heart opens to your voice. Um, it's from the opera um, called Samsa, Samson and Delilah. And I played it on YouTube and I was like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to get to this point, but I want to do this. Cause when Jesse Norman opened her mouth, I was just like, this, you can, this is the human voice can do this. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. so cool. And she was just like standing there and like, she wasn't really, it was just her just being on stage. It was just like she's embodied not only the character, but just her voice has so many nuances. It was so cool. That's the first epiphany. The second one is when I actually first got to Boston um, in 2021. Um, I had just finished my master's at Azusa Pacific University. And I had finished doing that. And um, I, at the time, I wasn't doing a um, anything with a live orchestra or anything or conductor. And what had happened was I ended up um, having to do most of my stuff online. And from being in Boston, um, I was given an opportunity at Longy uh, School of Music to do the role of Ruggiero in their fall production of Alcina. Um, and that was my first time with orchestra and with a conductor and with a live audience. And after that show, I remember feeling like, okay, this was a heck of a lot of work to this. But it was such an exhilaration, such a rush. I was like, I want to do this again. I was like, I am ready to wake up at seven in the morning, keep doing it. I was like, if I can keep doing this, that's my second epiphany to music and specifically opera. <laughs> how, how old were you then exactly? I was 24 going on 25. Okay, so let's take a step back then. Have you ever had in, in your career until until this point have you ever had anyone tell you that you weren't gonna make it because what most people um, go through especially at the beginning mm. what they experience is usually someone telling them that they can't do what they're actually really good at doing yeah. so did you have that moment um, absolutely so you're bringing me right back to um, if we're talking about like years let's take it back to the spring no the summer of 2018 uh, the summer of 2018 was entering my senior year of college um, at Baylor University and at the time I was in the school of music um, I wasn't um, in the vocal performance world yet I was doing church music um, Bachelor of Arts church music specifically and I specified Bachelor of Art because um, and we can get to this more um, my journey throughout college, I switched my major. Um, I was pre-med neuroscience and then I switched to Bachelor of Art Music, specifically church music because of the graduation requirements and to really make sure I, to the best of my ability, graduate with my class of 2019, which I ended up doing. Um, it took a lot of work, but we ended up getting to the finish line. Um, the summer of 2018, um, I was at a crossroads with whether I wanted to keep going on with church music and become a worship minister, um, work in the church or 
really go for my dream and really go after a performing arts, um, specifically with opera. I knew the amount of work that was still yet to be done um, to pursue that, but I was like, that is what I want to do. It, I always thought of, I would always think back to when I was 17, 18, back with my teacher, um, Jesse um, Hinkle, um, back in Texas. And I just knew like from that moment of when she played me that video, and moving forward, that always, that memory always was like a core memory in my head. I was like, yes, I'm doing music, but I'm like, it's not what I want to do to pursue it. Um, because I kind of felt myself leaning to complacency. So anyway, moving forward towards summer of 2018, I'm sitting down with my current voice teacher at the time um, at Baylor. And I was chatting with her about my um, desire and what I wanted to do after Baylor um, was to pursue an opera degree and performance degree. Um, at the time I was considering also musical theater, but the main thing was opera. And I was sitting with her um, at a Starbucks um, at the library. I like, I remember a clear day and I was sitting across from her and I was telling her all of this and I was like, so excited. I like put it all down. I was like, okay, I want to apply to this master's program. I was like, I know I don't have the credits. I know, but I was like, I want to at least try. Um, and I remember her specifically telling me, she was like, I don't, see you as doing this. In fact, I don't think you should go after this. Um, she even gave me a suggestion of going into um, an arts administration degree or something of that um, nature. And I played devil's advocate. I'm like, I see where she was coming from. I was a community leader. I was a resident assistant. I did have many other skills outside of music. I got that. But I felt like at the time she wasn't, she was hearing, hearing me, but she wasn't listening to my desire and my passion of what I wanted to do. Um, and so when she was saying that she didn't see me as doing opera and she didn't see me as, you know, even musical theater, or whatever, performing, that took a hit. Um, I didn't really, at the time, I kind of walked away from that conversation. I was like, wow, I was like, you know, I, I thought we could move forward. And I felt like we were just, I felt like kind of stymied. And it was kind of a moment in my, me being 21, I was like, okay, I can either take this and just stop and just like be like, okay. She doesn't see me as this. Why should I keep moving forward? And I ended up calling my mom and, and I was telling her, I was like, mom, I was like, I, I, my teacher, she's saying that I shouldn't even do this career. I shouldn't even pursue this. And my mom was like, what do you want to do? She's like, oh, sorry, excuse me. She said, um, not what, it, not what are you going to do? What do you want to do? That's what my mom specifically said. And I said, I want to pursue a career in opera. She said, do it. And she hung we hung up I went a week later I went back to my teacher went to my lesson I said you know I know what you were telling me last week about not pursuing this and I told her I'm I didn't say I want to try I said I'm going to try I'm going to try and I submitted three applications and then and I just go back I think from that moment um from that conversation it kind of lit a fire in me I was like you know you know prove it was kind of you know there's a saying that like prove them wrong and then from that point on, my teacher was like, in a way, like, she was like, okay, we'll try. But then she still, she was like, you know, you have all these requirements. I was like, I know, I was like, I'm aware of like what I have that, like what's outstanding. You know, I was like, I'm going to at least try. And I was like, if these schools don't want me, that's fine. And then along the way she was, you know, going along, but I will say like, I won't for I won't forget that moment of like when. It was like, you know, you can't do this. And I would also pause and say, like, to anyone who's, like, listening, like, if there's any one or there's anything that's, like, a 
you feel like is a barrier to what you want to do to be successful, I would say, you know, in that moment, you have to kind of remind yourself of your reason why you are pursuing after what you want to do in the first place. And there will be people along the way who may discourage you or may say you can't do it. Um, but I would say in those challenging moments, that is when you find within yourself to rise above it, because I know if I didn't, I wouldn't be sitting across from you today. So, mm. well, uh, taking a step back again, 21 was the age where they told you that you shouldn't pursue, right? Yes. That, that. is, that is such an early age because, you know, we are very vulnerable at that age. Absolutely. And the fact that somebody feels like they have the, uh, in a way, the authority, right, mm. to tell you what to do and not to do yeah. in the future really tends to then impact your future sure. in a very strong way. Mm -hmm. So the fact that then you listen to your mom. Hmm. And what's your relationship with your parents? Oh, gosh. Because the fact that <laughs> I'm saying because the fact that you listened to her and now you've achieved what you've achieved now. Yeah. It, it means that if it weren't for your mom telling you, pursue it. You probably wouldn't have. I mean, I mean, I, I do have to, I'll give like a one, like a super quick detour. Like I do have to give my mom a huge shout out, like to this whole like career, like I'm doing right now. Cause seriously, I was a very stubborn kid in high school. Like the same moment of like, you know, prove them wrong type of thing. Um, I remember I was 14. I was in the car with my mom. I was about to head into freshman um, orientation at my high school in North Carolina now over 10 years ago um and I was sitting with her we were going back and forth back and forth um this was around the time where I had already finished so I had finished piano for eight years and then I was like I'm not gonna do piano anymore and then I went a step further in the in that car right before freshman orientation I dropped a dropped a bomb on my mom I was like I'm not signing up for choir she's like what you're not and then we were going back and forth I was like it's not worth it I want to be a doctor I want to be a doctor I want to be a doctor and then she was gave me this ultimatum basically she's like try for one semester and if you hate it i will never ask you again <laughs> you wanted to be a doctor yes <laughs> tell me about it for sure um so i've always had a desire to help people that was always what i wanted to do i didn't know in what capacity i could do that i didn't think at the time in high school elementary school that it would be through music i kind of saw that as like more of like a hobby or like as a even as i got older like a more risky career um, becoming a doctor actually stemmed from medical procedures that I had done. Um, so I had many different career paths that I thought of. I was interested in science from the time when I was a little kid. I, when then uh, I had a really, really, really strong interest. Um, like I was such a nerd for all things like marine biology and science. I wanted to become a marine biologist at one point. Um, but then, um, and then also because I loved to swim and all the, like, it, it, it all tracked. Um, and there was one point I wanted to become an Olympic swimmer and I was on competitive swim teams when I was living in Florida and my coaches were like, oh, we're going to put you on this team, blah, blah, blah. And everything was starting to like add up to really head towards like training towards like major swimming competitions and stuff. Then we moved to North Carolina and I started noticing something going funny under my arms. And I was like, it was painful to move my arms. And I was like, what's going on? What's going on? My, my mom thought it was just like ingrown hair under my arms. And she's like, it's fine. Puberty, whatever. But it started growing and it started becoming even noticeable. And then it started growing to the size of about 
my fist and like it felt like decks of cards under my arms i was like that's not good and so they my parents took me to the pediatrician and my pediatrician was like hmm i don't think it's an ingrown hair let's do a culture on this and let's get it and then they're like oh we need to transfer you to another hospital i was like okay and then they did like some um the cuts underneath and like checked me out and like you have and then doctor's like you have a skin can i talk you have a skin condition called hydrogenitis separativa which is a long long name for basically abscess under your arms but it's um an um autoimmune so your body basically creates these abscess and it can be in any like um it can be like in your groin, it can be in just very uncomfortable places underneath your stomach, like it can just be in the nooks and crannies of the the human body. Mine were in both of my underarms. Um, and there were points where, and especially at such a vulnerable point in middle school and high school, um, just having to deal with like, I learned how to dress myself, meaning dressings of like these cotton cloths um, and tape, and I would tape myself every morning, every night, and I would have to clean underneath. And it was just really painful. And, um, but throughout that time and throughout that, and then I should also say, um, there was a point also where I had to like get, um, I got one surgery. Well, well, sorry, I did get one surgery and they got it out most of the gunk, but it didn't get rid of the problem. Um, and so it ended up growing back and it was even worse. And then in high school, um, they ended up having to just go in and t- go in and actually re- remove my sweat glands, which is actually a very risky procedure because then they would get into your nerves and like it, the risk, like they could potentially paralyze you underneath there. Um, but thankfully they didn't. Um, there are times where it does like affect me because I do like, since I don't have, I almost have zero sweat glands underneath. So I tend to like overheat. Um, but in either case, <laughs> all that to say, Throughout all my medical procedures with that specifically in such a young age, it, I became really engrossed in medicine. And I was like, you know what? I could, I was like, I could do this. And I was with doctors like all the time and nurses all the time um, and going to the hospital maybe every other month, maybe once a month, maybe sometimes twice a month. Um, so yeah, um, that really brought me into like, oh, I can help myself. Oh, I can help other people feel better. And that kind of got me onto the pre-med track um i was on neuroscience track as well um i just loved being a lifelong learner but then my personal experiences brought me to be a doctor so that was pure case that you actually ended up in music Mm -hmm. because you you were actually pretty much set in the medical world oh absolutely if my mom wasn't tooth and nail with me my mom i mean when you asked me about the relationship with my parents like i'm close to my my both my mom and my dad um but i would say me and my mom have a very special relationship because our personalities are very very similar <laughs> um she's like the one person who can like like literally like talk me like talk me down or like like it's the one person like because i if i'm like set on something i'm set on something like my sisters can try to talk to me but it's like my mom like knows exactly what to say and, and i'm like all right you got she like she can read my poker face <laughs> if you will <laughs> <laughs> Two words. Stage fright. So <laughs> being being in the um in, in this type of industry, both of us, we know that being in in stage 
can require a lot of nerves. Reason why, you know, I backed off. So what what really keeps you also going from that nerve-wracking, I call it anxiety, because if you think about it, you are being looked at and judged and and, and people are listening to you and what if you get it wrong? So what is your philosophy under under all this? How do you deal with that? I would say with stage fright, it comes from just being secure in who I am. That's what is, I would say, the antidote, if you will, to stage fright. It's not like a end-all, be-all, like a, you know, one-size-fits-all cure. But I would say, like, for anyone listening, like, in whatever you're pursuing, like, you have to 110% be... In, be secure in who you are and then also know and believe in your abilities because that in and of itself whatever happens on stage you well you know nerves are good and they can help us and keep us in the moment and keep us quick on our feet um but at the same time with stage fright um and i guess this kind of like leans into like imposter syndrome because during my first couple of years of Explore, um, studying and then performing opera I found myself being like well I've only been studying this you know let's say like a year and then maybe two years or whatever now I'm in my going into my fourth year of studying opera which still is a very very short time but I would say that very first year I was like kind of like oh my gosh like so so and so is whatever than me and then it kind of goes to comparison which is such a trap and like it never it, it's very sick um secular uh, it like goes and goes and goes cyclical and it goes and goes and goes um so i'd say with stage fright it has to start with at the end of the day i asked myself like is the isabel off stage the same isabel on stage again there it goes into you know we play different characters on stage and opera and we tell different stories but in this true sense of the word it's like my interpretation of for example um carmen sure of carmen um is not gonna be the same interpretation as was jesse norman's or was um sandra peaks eddie or who you know these people that have played carmen for years and years and years but that is okay right so it goes into saying like with stage fright you have to be sure of who you are because then if you're not you can land into trouble and i'm speaking from a place of where i've been in those situations of like okay i'm not really being myself i'm just being what someone told me to be yeah but th I, I guess this also brings us brings us to connect the the dots and also add something new which is rejection I mean, and failure. The, mm -hmm. yeah. What people don't probably realize in, in this type of, of, of scenario, but all, also in other type of industries, is that we do have to fail in order to succeed. I mean, failure is required in a way in order to get to where we want to be. Now, the sad part is that people don't talk about it. Therefore, in our generation particularly, we're not used to seeing people fail. Mm. Therefore, we think it's wrong. We mm. think it's it's mm. something like that's slowing us down. Mm. But actually, I believe that it's required. What do you think about that? I would say that for me, failure has 
kind of been with this audition season that I'm currently in, which has been my most extensive, the fuel that's been keeping me going, which has never been the case for me, like ever in anything, which tells me one thing that's very clear is that I'm, I know without a shadow of a doubt, I'm in the career that's been for me because the fact that I'm not letting failure discourage me from moving forward because I have this audition season, gosh, I don't know. I don't even remember. I can't even tell you how many trains and planes I've been on, like just to audition and for different jobs, for different um, companies, for competitions, you know, putting myself out there, saying this similar introduction every time, sometimes starting with a different song or aria, um, which is specifically the term we use for songs and that are performed solely solo by um, people on stage. Um, and I can't tell you how many times I've done that over and over and over again. It's very vulnerable. And it's very jarring. And, and not to say that it doesn't get, you know, it's not to say like it gets easier because that's not true. Actually, it gets harder every time because year after year for and I should say that for my colleagues because I'm, I'm I can't say year after year because this is like my first big audition season. Um, but I will say the failure is fuel for me because of the fact that I view each audition as an opportunity and just taking seizing the moment of like okay I'm gonna put all out on the table everything I got because the fact that I'm given an opportunity to sing an audition that's huge because in opera in America I can't really speak for Europe because that's another an incredibly huge opera hub specifically in Europe but in the United States it's even more competitive because there's less opera houses here um, in Europe there are days in one of my, my one of my Mentors in the opera world had told me once um, there are more opera houses than churches in Germany, for example. And <laughs> the United States, that's not the case. Um, in Boston specifically, there is one major opera house, Boston Lyric Opera. And then you can speak for other states. There's maybe tops three big opera houses in that state. But in any way, and competitions as well. But with that being said... Any time that I'm given a chance to live audition, I have to, you have to assume that hundreds and hundreds of applicants have been told no. So when you're given a yes to audition, that's a win. Even if you don't get the job, which that's something I'm learning of like, okay, I didn't get the job this year. But the fact that I can say, like looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've sung for this person. And I'm like, I'm not even... I'm not even two years in professionally and I'm, I've already sung for this people. That's huge. So it's so it's interesting because you're you're actually underlining more of the mindset rather than the actual setting, which is very important, I think, because most people forget that they're in the moment yeah. and that they are auditioning for even a very important organization. Mm -hmm. And what you're trying to tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, is that even if they say no, it is it is okay because you got there. Correct. You got there and you have you have all your life to, to succeed in that in that audition. Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> so let's take a, a big step back sure. and um how was your your childhood meaning? I know you traveled a lot and I I can relate personally with that because I traveled a lot for my parents' job as well. And I have to say personally, and I want to know if you can relate to that, I have had a really hard time 
connecting with other kids and and making friends, especially if I knew that I was going to leave in like a year or so. How how did you live through that? How did you process that? Yeah, um, the moving, the moves in my childhood were, um, especially when I got older, it was a mindset of just um, survival mode, if you will. And survival mode meaning, not to say like I was put in any danger or anything like that. I would say from a social standpoint, um, I found myself, if I could compare myself to any thing, like I felt like a chameleon. I was just blending in to each place, picking up on the colloquialisms, the, the common sayings, if you will, just to make it because being saying like the question of where are you from? Like, it's a very loaded question for me. It still is to this day. Um, and even to this day, like when I tell people, oh, I was from Spain, like I, they're like, oh, but you don't look like it, for example. And I'm like, okay, right. I was like, my parents are American. They're like, oh, I get it. And so we cross over one barrier. Okay. And it's like, okay, we're in the clear now. And they're like, okay, but where are you really from? And then I'm like, well, my parents are from New Orleans. So they're like, oh, like you're from New Orleans then. And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and then it's like another hurdle. And then it, it goes into many things and i and i go to say all these layers is because my concept of like social interactions from being a little kid i mean to get even more deeper like i didn't recognize i guess the my blackness if you will until i was about like six or seven um because i lived in mostly white predominantly white neighborhoods um mm -hmm. in suburban areas um and being like kind of the one or two like black kids in the class like I didn't it, not to say like I had like any like problems like racially with anyone but it's just I didn't realize like my that difference or like understanding like my culture until I was like six or seven if you will so you never had any racist instant in your life no not to say that I shouldn't say that no I'm saying like early on like early early childhood years um I didn't realize, recognize the significance of like being black and what that means in America. Like I didn't understand all of that, like the levels of that until I was like six or seven. It just kind of, I was like, oh, like um, <laughs> one funny thing. I mean, I rem I don't think I have the paper anymore, <laughs> but we had to like in kindergarten, we had to describe ourselves. And I said, I'm, I'm brown and sort of like a circle. <laughs> So that's what I mean of like the deeper implications of like race and stuff. I didn't understand that till like six or seven. So uh, talking about that, <laughs> have you ever experienced, you know, you're, you're telling me that you were very, very good at trying to, you know, be part of the culture you were getting yeah. into and making yeah. friends. But did you ever have anyone who wasn't, who was not okay with that and who actually bullied you for that um, or bullied in general? I think it was like twofold. I think in middle school, it just, it, for me, I can only speak from like my personal experience. Um, like I, because I lived in mostly like predominantly white neighborhoods, I kind of assimilated to like what that culture was or like what most of my friends would like listen to. So like, um, I didn't really grow up with a lot of having a lot of like friends who were black. Um, and so when I got to middle school in North Carolina specifically, that was my first deep dive into like, like black culture. I mean, of course I would visit my cousins 
every now and again in the summers um, in the south. But again, it was maybe for a couple of days at a time. And then like New Orleans, we would try to go every year. But it was just like my extended family. So it wasn't, I didn't really grasp like any cultural things. And I should even further on and say like, I didn't really get a chance to experience like black culture until like college even. But I would say like middle school is my first first like experience with that and I didn't um really know a lot about like for example like like Jay-Z or like Lupe Fiasco like I didn't know like these names um <laughs> and so like when the kids at the school were like trying to like talk to me about like different stuff and they're and like I was like oh I don't know and I would be like oh but like listening to like um for example I was like Demi Lovato or like jo- or like Jonas Brothers like people were like oh like oh you like this music and so I kind of felt like oh, like, am I, I was like, it was like kind of like a identity crisis, like, oh, like, what is my culture of like, I don't fit into this crowd, I don't fit into that crowd. So it was kind of just felt like very, it was very disorienting because I had been to all these places, but then it's kind of like, well, who am I? And like, was am I just like gravitating towards things just to like fit in? Yes, I was. So it it was yeah, it it was isolating. So that from that point, I just kind of turned to my academics and just really didn't really hang out with a lot of people in the, during that time. Just because I was like, well, I don't fit into this crowd. I don't fit in that one. So I'm just going to kind of, you know, put my head down and get to work. And I was extremely, like academically wise, I was thriving. But socially and emotionally and mentally, I was deteriorating. Exactly. And this is where I want to also get to, you know, you traveled a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you, yes and no, saw your family members every mm-hmm. now and then. You were told to change career. I mean, was there a breaking point ever? Yeah. So, like, going back to middle school, like, the deterioration, like, academically, I was starving. Like, seventh, seventh grade like 13 um and at the time I was just kind of at a point where I was like you know like I was just questioning of like what am I even doing here meaning like my life in and of itself um and this 2023 marks um yeah little over 10 11 years from when i was gonna attempt um suicide Mm. um and it was a point where um i knew what i was planning to do and for me like i would say like another thread like besides music was like my belief in like my in god and i believe like he was with me like to stop me from doing that um because i don't know how i because i don't recall my my parent my mom being in the house or like i don't recall like any i think I, I believe i was home alone um if i'm not mistaken um and i was i had the letter ready i was by the window which was my plan um like part of the plan by the window um i had already laid everything out laid everything out to be like left and but somehow, which I believe like God spared me from like doing that. And I turned away from it. I don't know how I got to the point of turning away from it. I don't remember all the, I just remember like turning away from it. And then like, I didn't, 
I never had anything like that or like a suicide attempt again in my life. But I would say like, again, like talking to people listening, like you are only one person and your life and your footprint, your thumbprints, your everything that you put on into this world and, and is so important and so needed. And if you are feeling disoriented or lost, um, there are people there who can help and there are people you can reach out to. And if there's not, um, I don't know the hotline number up the top of my head, but um, there's that line as well. Um, but I would say I, and throughout the years, especially, I mean, middle school, high school years, like I did have friends who did lose their lives to that. And uh, that also like, I mean, I didn't vocalize any of this until I was in college years um, to my parents or my family. And then even like my sisters, I don't think, I think more recently I like told them and like they had no idea about what was going on um, back in those years. But yeah, the isolation that I experienced, I'm like, it's a real thing. I mean, it's, but again, it's like talks, shedding light on it is where you have to start, even if it's painful. Um, But again, it took me time to get, for myself, took me time to get there. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, I, I believe that, again, mental health is something that is not talked about enough. Yeah. Especially in, in the industry where we are currently hmm. working in. Hmm. So what would, you, what would you say to a person that's struggling and that is, is trying to make it and that is having, you know, it's having all the hardships and the tribulations that you went through. What would you, what would you as a teacher, as a mentor... What would you tell them? I would go back to myself being 13, 14. And I would just sit with her, sit with that younger Isabel, and we would just breathe and just sit. Starting there. Like something so, it sounds so simple, but in and of itself of just recognizing that in and of itself is a gift and then moving forward from there whatever that looks like I want to also preface it like a lot of times especially I've found in American culture and I I experienced this more recent because I recently um, visited a friend um, in Germany um, the pace of life is so different in Europe to hear everything in America is always the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And even an op- an opera is notorious for that. It's notorious for the overworking, the we got to hit the grind, we got to keep going. You know, I, you know, I've heard of people like not even, you know, taking just a break throughout the day of just like, oh, we're going to just go from the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And the reason I say I would start with the younger version of myself and breathing is because it's so important to take care of yourself mentally, emotionally, spiritually first before even starting a list or even thinking about a list that comes, that is sub basement in my book, sub basement, because 
if we can't even if I can't even take care of my whole self, then burn the list, burn the book, burn the burn the scores. Like we we can't move forward from there. No way. It's not worth it. Not worth my my health. Not not worth that. Whoever is listening, not worth your health. Um, whatever that score or whatever that work that you're pursuing is, um, take care of yourself in the process. Um, absolutely. And okay. breathe. So if I were to give you these pictures without saying who they are, can you take them? Okay. And <laughs> no! don't, don't, you don't have to show them, but so we got the first one and i can share a little bit about this um tell me about that girl this girl oh this girl oh my gosh wow so this was from wow you're really taking me back okay (laughs) so um this was right wow and we were just talking about it too this was a couple of months after that intense car conversation with my mom um, for me sticking with choir. And then I went a little step further and I was like, mom, I want to try out for America's Got Talent. And we waited out in the rain in, um, I want to, I believe it was Charlotte, North Carolina, um, somewhere. But anyway, we waited out in the rain. My sister was with me um, and a friend of, from high school was with me and we drove from our town of Wake Forest, North Carolina, like, oh, dark 30. I think it was, like, 3.30 in the morning, something crazy. And we were in this cattle call. It was, it was endless and endless. I mean, we were just there, and we, like, would rotate. Like, I think my mom would, like, get food, but we would, like, keep our place in line, and someone would go to the bathroom, and we would just keep rotating. Like, it was just, like, how you see on TV, like, it is that. But did you want to actually audition or just go listen no, so I actually, like, wanted to audition, oh. like, and so you have to go through, like, these lines and lines, many, many lines, many, many checkpoints, and what you see on TV, um, which I guess I'm spoiling a little bit, if you don't already know, um, this cattle call that they do, um, you don't meet um, whoever the celebrity judges are, you meet the whoever they assigned for that city, the producer of the show, or assistant producer, whatever, um, and they usually are assigned to a certain city and then they hear certain singers or performers, if you will, because America's Got Talent is not just for um, singers. It's for many different talents um, and different art forms, and if you will. What did I sing? Um, I still remember. Yeah. So I sang Billy Holiday's God Bless the Child. And my voice was definitely not at like the depth and the the nuances of Billy Holiday's voice was not in little yeah I just turned 15 it was not in 15 year old but again voice. <laughs> again the moment though but season the, the moment. moment yeah so again I mean I want to see the the time of like at, this version of as well though was not at the place of being like failure fueling me forward actually like when I didn't get America's Got Talent I was like um I was like so. I was like so disappointed. I was like, oh, I didn't get it. And I, my sister auditioned for it as well, which was helpful that she was there. She was like, I remember her saying, she's like, um, I didn't receive it. And as I'm like, as I'm reflecting and thinking about it now, she was like, Isabel, just because it's no doesn't mean it's 
um doesn't just because it's no doesn't mean it's never it just means not now hmm. so that's probably that the is best this version of <laughs> isabel oh my gosh so yeah. i have a little bit more sure. saved up for you here <laughs> um first of all talk to me about the inquisitive typist who is that person the inquisitive typist The Inquisitive Typist is my pen name um, for poetry, for poems that I write and still write. Um, the Inquisitive Typist was, the inception of it began when um, COVID-19 hit. Um, I I didn't have a name for the Inquisitive Typist yet. That name didn't come about to be, but as far as like extensive poetry and writing of itself started. Um, I just come back from New York City, um, back to LA where I was at in 2020 and for um, the most of 2019 through 2021, um, I got back from New York and then everything started shutting down and it was crazy. I mean, I would say my, of course, music has always been a safe haven for, for me, a refuge, but also writing as well. I wrote a lot during all my schooling years um, and I found that as a safe place for me to be. Um, and I just remember being in my room in LA and I was like, I have to document this somehow. And so I've it, on my phone, I don't have the physical journals anymore, but I have scanned, scanned copies of all of my entries throughout the pandemic. And s there were poems that were written throughout the way. Um, I was like, Hmm, I wonder if I would just keep writing poems. And so in 2021, um, I remember, um, writing, a poem one day and then I signed it as the inquisitive typist and I was like okay that's it so the name came after the name came after oh yes <laughs> so I want you to walk through me these mm -hmm. two beautiful poems okay and yeah just walk me through them um you want me to read them or yes read them okay. aloud and then just okay walk me through so this one is from December 27th of last year not yet all I know is that I don't know I've seen doors open and shut yet my heart is ready to receive this that no is okay what's next is not certain yet I'm grateful for what has been placed in my hands for the breath that fills my lungs to sing and exhale through the not yet the inquisitive typist so um, this was at the end of um, my audition season in 2022. Um, my goal um, was to have a year-long young artist program. Um, um, I had already been offered, and I'm so thankful to be returning to um, summer program this year. Um, but for the year-long stuff after the summer, that wasn't confirmed yet. Um, and so the word of and the two words not yet kind of were like spiraling through. Um, cause I would, me and my mom have such a close relationship and she'd be like, Oh, Isabel, it's just not yet. And I was like, okay, yeah, it's not yet. But I'm like, okay. And it was like, spinning. when is yet coming? Yeah. When is yet coming? And so then it brought me back to this. Um, and then talking about the breath that fills my lungs and just thinking about this, the fragility of life and just thinking bigger picture of like what I'm doing this even for, um, even if I'm, even if it's not yet, it doesn't mean I'm going to stop, you know, so that's not yet. The second one 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> the Valentine whoa. The Valentine's Day Poetry Cycle, which was written for this year's Valentine's Day. It's nine poems. The first one is content, second is poetry, number three is quiet, fourth is overthinking, five is undefined, six is we, seven is navigation, eight is at the time, and nine unwavering. Um and then there's a description of it. Um, but the gist of this was um Again, I've I've never been in a romantic relationship ever. Um, I say the closest I've ever been is the DMs, <laughs> the direct messages, like be, meaning like I, I would converse with someone or I would maybe like talk with them on the phone or whatever, but I would never get past to like um, a formal relationship or like a formal date, if you will. Um, but I this year, like since turning twenty six, I've just come to a place where like you know like I am sure of myself with or without someone and that is the first step um and so that's what writing content got me to this place of like you know what I want to also broaden my you know challenge my writing style and to write about perspectives I'm not a not well versed in and then also to give it as a gift for someone if they are in a place that they can relate to with this um one of these poems because valentine's day there's so much that goes around valentine's day um and me being single um it's one of those things where it can be um triggering um but for me it is triggering but in a way where i'm just like you know what like this is the season that i'm in right now being single i'm like I'm going to make the most of like seize moments, you know, and also first and foremost, take care of myself. So that is love yourself first before yep. you love others. Absolutely. Pour, pour inside, pour for yourself before pour for pouring for the others. Absolutely. That's, that's actually really good. So uh, one step back, you have never been in a relationship. How would you define love then? What's your definition of love? Because it's way broader than just being in a relationship. We know that. But what's your vision of love? Um, current and potential. Current and potential? Yeah. I guess it's twofold. Like I've said before, like it starts with loving yourself. But also it's like, for me, it goes to of of, of being able to... I, there have been so many, the reason why I take a pause is because, um, there've been so many, um, different things throughout my life that have, um, where I've written about what I thought was love or what I thought was, you know, this, you know, this thing, there's so much nuances to that word, um, and what was that you thought? Like, I would say with what I thought with love was is um, more of how the feeling. There's a feeling which I've read more about limerence. Li there's a specific word like limerence or like or even like a longer a longing for for something or something or chasing a feeling whatever. But that's a temporary thing. The thing that love for me 
is is something that's steadfast it's the nitty-gritty it's the, the behind the scenes it's when it's not instagram worthy when it's not pretty um meaning the work that is put into a relationship the communication even with friendships you know like you they don't just work by themselves um you're continually working on yourself but then also it's like when you're in a relationship and with love it should never i'm coming to a point where it's like it, you should never be subtracting who you are in order to be in a relationship if anything the relationship should be an additional and a complimentary thing to who you already are so um, what you're saying is to not compromise the person you are absolutely which not. i think it's fair absolutely not say. because it uh, because it goes back to you know when you first were starting off before you defined the relationship because i even one of my poems uh it calls it's undefined and then it goes into we within that pronoun we um it should never you have to think about i mean this is really cheesy now that i say it <laughs> when you think of the pronoun we you also have to think about me defining like who am i in the we it has that change and it ha if it's changed then you have to you have to you have to ask yourself why that's deep wow that was for free <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> i'm trying not to laugh so bad right now i know it's okay <laughs> um sorry i had to quote trek ones you're welcome Okay, so trying to wrap up this in a way, um, I have two more important questions I want to ask you. Sure. The first one is a question that I would usually ask at the beginning, but it's completely fine to ask at the end as well. What is your um, definition of leadership? Yeah. I had a lot of time to think about that in college. <laughs> um, I was a part of, at Baylor University, there was um, these community programs called Living Learning Centers. And I was in one that was titled LEAD Living Learning Center. Um, and it was in a residential hall called Allen Dawson Hall. Allen was for, um, was the male side and then Dawson was the female side, but it was a co-ed building. Anyway, so I took this intro to leadership class. We all had to take it if you're in the, in the dorm um and so i took that class and at the end of it we had to define what you specified and a couple of months ago i was uh searching on google um and i found my old blog website again <laughs> from like you had a blog website i had a blog website for the class we had to develop like this. Oh, okay. it was so cheesy because I, I was still like holding on to the thread i don't know of like Maybe I'll like still swim on the side. Like it was all like aquatic theme. It was so cheesy. There's like fish and like it was, <laughs> it's so, you can still, if you want to look it up, it's, <laughs> it's called take it. It's like, if you do like deep, Isabel Randall, deep dive to leadership, like it will pop Everybody up on look at her, <laughs> look at her website. Yeah. It's so great. <laughs> <laughs> and I defined 
leadership my excuse me I, my definition of leadership at the time honestly hasn't changed that much to how i view it now um even now looking at eight nine years ago um my definition of leadership is not something about of course what i can bring to the table not just that but also relying on those i'm leading to inform my leadership which i view as what i can learn from them and how i can continue my process of being a lifelong learner um, because i find and i have found from being in leadership capacities um, whether that was as a resident assistant or community leader in the dorms um, at baylor university or whether being leading um, different um, teams to where we would serve for different countries in malaysia and kenya like being a leader um, is not just from the top going down looking down i view it as like we're sitting at the table and it's kind of like what we we can contribute not to say that i'm not going to have a plan if you will but i would say leadership goes to looking around of who you're leading and how you can lean on them as a team um and then camaraderie also, camaraderie aspect that's key the second thing also is um being able to empower others to make an impact in their community communities um, respectively and how doing that is equipping them with the tools to be able to do that because again just for example i had an opportunity um my first teaching experience with music was in malaysia in 2018 um and i remember being so nervous before teaching that class um and um i remember one of the teammates i had who was like Co we were like co-leading the voice class we were like rotated on different lessons um and i remember she was like just have fun and i was like what she was like just have fun i was like what about i was like what about the you know i was like what about the plan like <laughs> and she's like just have fun go with the flow and i was like oh and i saw and i didn't understand again i didn't understand until saying back to myself now what she meant was just living in the moment and like really taking it for what it was because which brings us also back to to the whole you know stage fright and yes and acceptance to to failure yeah because yeah. leadership ha stems from that it's like if i'm not <laughs> sure and like i'm and also acknowledging i will not and should not have it all today it, it can't otherwise it would be too easy it, Right? Then it's just it like makes sense. Then it's it makes life predictable and then it's just like, okay, what boring. A, very boring. Then brings just brings us back to like those sci fi movies where it's like, Okay, Automatron, I'm ready for like my peanut butter and jelly now, like and just like, you know, hologram <laughs> or you know holographic meatloaf, my favorite. Like, yeah. So I had to do SpongeBob at least once, you know this. <laughs> so um there is this uh this thing we do at the very end where we ask you to write a question or ask a question looking at the camera to the next person we're going to interview without knowing who the next person is going to be. So what is your next question? My next question for the next person to be interviewed is what do you want your footprint to be in the world? That is awesome. Well, Isabel, thank you. Thank you for being here and thank you for giving us your time. 
the crew says thank you. <laughs> and, well, we hope to have you back in the show. Love to be back. Bye. Bye. <laughs>